everybody in a workplace is important. Everybody's a key to how that workplace performs. Welcome to the Workplace Theatre Podcast, where we explore the joy, the pain, the comedy, and human connections that make up the world of work culture. In this episode, our guest, James Christian Scott, discusses whether the secret ingredient to a thriving workplace is valuing every employee equally or prioritizing a select few. Our hosts, Chris, Michelle, Joe, and Julius, share their insights and experiences while offering practical advice on navigating the complex world of workplace culture. So sit back, grab your popcorn, and let's dive into the fascinating world of workplace theater. You know, workplace theater podcast. This is like we don't know what episode this is gonna be, but it's one or two or whatever we want to name it. Twenty five, eighty seven, <laughs> zero point one. Yeah. Right. So welcome. <laughs> See. And we got a guest for the very first time. So hey, James, how are you? I'm excellent. Thank you. Very good. Okay. Yes. Awesome. Very good. So the way we normally start these podcasts is we start with the headline. So we just kind of. Uh, Pick something out of the ether, and Michelle generally starts us off. What are we going to be starting with today, Michelle? Well, because James got me thinking about his active desk um, business and the ways that we work. I came across an article that made me think of you, James, and it was about not just a, a stand-up desk or a walking desk, but about a walking room. So there's ah. a, a company in Amsterdam that's created sort of a massive walking desk concept but it's like 10 by 12 feet so you walk into the room it's mm -hmm. a carpet that sort of looks like astroturf um, and then you, the whole the whole group gets together and they walk together on in this walking room <laughs> to have their meetings uh, wow so I, I i would love to get your your thoughts on it or any of us like would you take a meeting like that would you feel comfortable walking with your colleagues in a room on some astroturf it just was such an interesting interesting I I invention I, I prefer to walk in the park with my colleagues i think it's a bit yeah. of fresh air well, if that's what we're doing. They, they did they did talk about this they were saying this was you know for the places where the climate isn't that friendly this was ah, the alternative yeah. for the winter months mm -hmm. so you know so, there's something to that so well, we do we do spend 90 percent of our time indoors now we're an indoor species so so i guess yeah anything that can get you moving internally is a good thing for me yeah definitely yeah yeah so wait this is inside of the workplace yeah so it would be sort of like a meeting room a meeting room that would be designated as the walking room mm. and so there is a table in there the thing that i found interesting was that there wasn't like two opposing conveyor belts everything was going in the same direction so you unless some of your colleagues are good at walking backwards i don't think you're going to have much face to face in this scenario uh, yeah. <laughs> you know you're all just sort of walking <laughs> side by side we, we've actually put active desks in environments and put uh we also do treadmills but it's not got the handles so and it's a lot of it's like a walking pace treadmill okay. so you can work you can work and still walk slowly on the treadmill which obviously keeps you active still yes uh which we do cluster to those in offices which they they work quite well okay yeah, yeah this yeah. one didn't have any handles either there was like a panic button at the table at the front but if you were someone in the back <laughs> no such luck 
<laughs> All right, so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing an actual picture of this because yeah. this is uh this is really getting innovative in the the workplace. So James, how close to like what you guys are doing is this concept? Uh, it's well, I, I've never heard of that, but to be quite honest, <laughs> moving floor. <laughs> we'll, we'll put but, it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, getting people to move in the workplace is, I think, is key. With uh, you know, with sedentary uh, sitting, uh, you know, a lot of focus work nowadays is at your desk, and most people spend more than four to six hours sat down at the desk. And which can cause a lot of MSK conditions, to back, neck and shoulder pain. Uh, it can cause various forms of cancer by sat, sit, sitting a long time. So anywhere where we can get people to stand up and be active while working is is, is very good in in my book. One thing I, re- so, I so yeah, most definitely. One thing I really like is is the being grounded part, right? Like we don't get to connect with Earth a lot, right? Mm-hmm. In the workplace, it's like we come to work, we connect with people, but to have a piece of Earth in there, and then to enjoy that or be able to have meetings with your colleagues with that, I think that's a kind of spiritual moment, so to speak. It's a de-stressor, so, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think in, in China uh, they have a lot of their meetings stood up; they're a lot quicker. Oh, mm. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't have any two-hour meetings there, right? No, no, which is good, you yeah. know. And I think you're more alert anyway, stood up, because I'm stood up now, and, and you just feel more alive when you stood up, to be quite honest. Uh, and I think it's it's the meetings become a lot more fun and open, stood up. Because, you know, you can express yourself more. You're moving more, you know. It's I, I love standing up meetings. Yeah, I'm working. I, I, st- I'm, I do most of my time. Not all the time. It can get a bit tiring, but I do spend quite a lot of time stood up working at my desk. Nice. Yeah. Well, that uh, transitions us into our burning question. So the burning question today is: Is valuing every employee? the secret ingredient to a thriving and innovative workplace or can success be achieved by prioritizing a select few? Uh, I think it's a combination of both, to be quite honest. I think you need to start with a select few at the top who get an overview of the business. You uh, interview those, get their thoughts, uh, and get them into the ingredient, and then you then disperse that down the company and and down again. So you have an overall viewpoint of what they need, how they behave, what sort of tools they need, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and that only can be done through, uh, I'd say, in-depth persona profiling of most of well you need all of the people involved really you can't bake a cake and don't put the flour in it's not going to work is it everybody in a workplace is important everybody's a key to how that workplace performs uh, and that is really important whether it's the person cleaning the toilets uh, you know to the to the ceo the whole one whole and that whole makes you know that output of that business what it is in my book 
And just to give us a little context, James, tell us a little bit about like your background and your and your company, QA Studio. Uh, so I started uh, 23 years ago uh, for a company after I finished university, uh, just space planning officers. And I was just giving, uh, given a brief, uh, and it was basically uh, the brief came either from the FD, the CEO, or the operation director from the business with no interaction from any of the staff or any of the team leaders. And it would usually be, okay, we need Sony meeting rooms. Uh, we need, uh, we've got 100 staff. We're going to expand to another 20%. Uh, we need a kitchen, uh, we need a comms room, and this, that, and the other. So it was a very basic brief, what they thought the company, the staff needed. Uh, so I used to get this brief and then start space planning it based on what they've given me. Uh, and and I'm going, where's this information come from? What's it based upon? As any of the employees had an input on how they work, because everybody seems to be working in the same uh, row of desks. You know, you've just got all rows of desks in an open plan. Everybody's on the same desk. Everybody's using the same tools. Uh, there's been, you know, they're just putting meeting rooms. Uh, we'll have four, six person, four, four persons. And, it's, and I'm thinking, uh, why, are they, why are they wanting... Uh, these number of meeting rooms and the same equipment in all the meeting rooms. You know, there's no diversity of the diff. There's 52 different meetings you can have, you know, and, and they've given me, you know, six meeting rooms and they've all got the same equipment in. Now there's no diversity or flexibility within those meeting rooms. Uh, so I started, uh, questioning what they was giving me basically on how the brief was coming to me uh, and I started then asking more questions asking why <clears throat> why do you want this meeting room with six, you know with six tables and uh, why do you want this equipment what's what's it based upon uh, so I just started asking more questions more questions more questions and then finally I convinced one of the CEOs if I could start interviewing the heads of teams and try and get some more individualized working patterns from the teams on how they work, what tools they need, what kind of meetings they have, uh, et cetera. So let me ask you a question. At this point, um, when you were thinking about like the diversity in rooms, did you have kind of a, uh, an idea what they should be or you just knew that, they shouldn't be just six or where they shouldn't be the same as what they were talking about. Yeah. I, I just, uh, I, I just thought, well, surely everybody can't be working the same, you know, there's such diversity in a workplace, but there's no diversity within any of these rooms. They're all exactly the same. All the desks are exactly the same, all the same size. Not everybody works on the same size desk, do they? You know, some people spread out papers, some people don't need a big desk. So it was just such a uh, a narrow-minded thinking about, well, I know what you need coming from a hierarchy rather than, uh, you know, 
let me find out what my staff need. Mm-hmm. It was the opposite way around, really. Uh, so, so yeah, I I was just more inquisitive in my younger days, basically, uh, and more uh, thinking, well, I can I can design workplaces better than they are now. Because I used to work, because how it first started as well, we used to do a lot of uh, building appraisals. So before we even put pen to paper, we'd go to a workplace and analyse how they're working now. Say if they wanted a refurbishment or they were moving, we'd basically uh, go to the building and uh, look how they're working shadow people are they using the meeting rooms the the right way you know how many how often are they using the equipment the meeting rooms uh and i can remember going to one office and there's a big call center uh i'll not mention the company but it's a big big company uh and basically i walked into the office and it was just a sea of people in this office and they had screens really high like this and my heart just dropped i thought they spend all their day literally looking at a screen like this and i thought this is not right you know no you know you might as well just work in a cell you know mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah. ridiculous so and so so that kind of fueled me to try and improve how people worked in a work workplace environment to get that uh, to get that information, I knew I needed to ask, you know, the actual individuals who were doing the work, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious if you have heard anything really surprising from some of the people you mentioned, even the people cleaning the toilets, um, from some of the people that may not have typically been consulted in these kinds of conversations. Did you do you have any examples of anything? really surprising that came across through those conversations uh all the time yeah all the time and i usually get them when i'm actually doing the building appraisals when i'm walking around because usually the ceo of the fd sends an email out saying uh james is coming a workplace consultant uh is going to look at transforming the business ignoring what he's doing he might be taking pictures doing this doing that just ignore him but i always make an effort to try and talk to people there because that's where you're going to get the the, the best information people the, the people on the floor uh so all the time uh you know i get such information that i would have never got from a brief uh, and it could be that as simple as well our team are based next to another team and they're so noisy we can't focus so they've got the adjacencies wrong uh, and so, you know, that's just down to the CEO thinking or assuming these two teams need to be next to each other. Mm-hmm. But they don't necessarily, when you actually look into it, they, they don't need to be that close to each other. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, literally like this next to each other. Well, you've got a sales team who are like this all day, and then you've got people who are in focus work on the desk like this with the headphones on all the day. It's you know it's 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 not good, uh, and it's I get you know stuff like that comes out all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, just little things like that. Joe, you were uh, Joe, not to interrupt. Joe, Joe, you were going to say something. Well, I was just I I was going to say I think James that 
they're put that way, not with any rhyme or reason or any thought, right? It's just like exactly they're going through the list. The alphabetical, yeah, right. <laughs> Sales, accounting, marketing. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just tables and chairs. That's how CEOs see it. Number of people, number of tables, number of chairs, number of computers, and how many can I fit in the space for for a cost effective way? You know, and usually the FD is a part of that conversation as well. Obviously, he needs to save. He wants to save on real estate, so they don't put people first. They, they put, you know, the business and the finances of the business first, which is the wrong way around again. Really. And, and for those that don't know, FD would be like the facilities director or the facilities people. Finance director, oh, you oh, know, deals well, the, deals with the money. Yeah, he gets involved quite a lot. <laughs> he has to write the checks. He's like, oh, 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 checks, hold on but... a second. He's like, hold on a second. One less chair. Yeah. Well, and and working, working with many finance people, right, CFOs, that is exactly how it is, right? It is. There's literally yeah. a spreadsheet, and it's, you know, what's it, it calculate the square footage per person, and if we're going to add 20% more people, here's the square footage you get. Here's your space. This is what it is. Like, mm-hmm. what are your ratios, you know, James, mm-hmm. I'd have so much fun working with you because you you just say, "What's your ratio for what? The, what about the meeting rooms? What about this? What about that?" And they, like, no, that's not incremental. There's no, we don't we don't change for that. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I think it's. Uh, I, I'm not blaming anybody on this. I think it's it's just a, a developing. Uh, subject that we need to do more and more of especially now covid and things mm. uh and I, and i think the way it's been over the past you know from i'd say 1970s uh onwards up to probably 1990 you know it's been based on uh traditional working practices you know where you've got a lot of hierarchy at the top uh, and and they implementing all the rules and regulations down, and it filters down. Now, uh, since then, a lot of new savvy businesses have opened. A lot of technologies come in, and you're getting a lot of younger CEOs now a, a lot more open to collaboration and understanding how things work better when more people are involved, having an opinion. Yeah. So when's the first time that you actually started to like feel the way that you feel? Cause I mean, when I listened to you talk about this <laughs> and you said you walk into, when you walk into, you know, uh, an office and you see all those screens up and your heart just drops, like how long have you had that specific feeling and where did that uh, come from? I had that 15 years ago. Uh, and I knew something had to change. Uh, so it's been a, a long, hard process. You know, I think most of it's trying to convince people at that, you know, the top of the business and nobody wants to pay for it either. So most of the time I've done it for nothing, which is a long, it can be a long process, but at the end of the day, uh, people, you know, as a, people spend a half the working life at work after waking life at work, which is a long time to spend in a place that's not, you know, that's not working for them, that's drab, that looks awful, that's, you know, you haven't got the right tools, you know, that's where most of the mental health comes, you know, in a workplace. And and your environment is is key 
uh, you know, to help with your mental health as, as well as a, you know, it's an holistic thing, mental health, but your environment is one of those keys, mm. you know, to, to drive that, you know, people. Uh, so it's been, it's been, it's been difficult to say the least. And, I, and sometimes I've given up on it mm. and just, just took the brief off them. But my heart, you know, pounds. And then I've got to go back into it and say, no, no, look, let me just, can I just do this? I'm not going to charge you for it. Let me just ask more questions. Let me just ask this team. Let me just go and ask these. Mm. And then once they start to see the results on what I'm doing, then they start to soften. They start to get it. They start to realise. So I think what it's been mainly is they've just not been made aware of the benefits of human-centred design because it's not been a, a traditional thing to do many years ago. And now it's becoming more aware and, we've, and us as humans now becoming more, uh, I'd say, more loving to each other. If it's a funny you know, uh, thing to say, we just are. You know what I mean? We're, we're thinking more humanistic about the individual needs of people mm -hmm. uh, rather than, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're a collective together as a whole. Yeah. So I think it's come come naturally as it's come in human centered design. So let me ask a question. So then, did you, um, through frustration of when you started to, uh, you know, in your early years, is that why you started your company? How did that happen? And tell us a little <clears throat> bit about your company. Yeah, I uh, back in two thousand and eight, uh, I got made redundant from the the business from a design and build business, which was my first job where I was space planning and doing interior design. <clears throat> and then I decided to set up my own business, which we called JCS Designs at the time, which is my initials, which is <laughs> what most people do when they <laughs> set up initials. a business and they, don't, and they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I did that. And so it was in the recession, 2008. Uh, and I actually thrived uh, in, in that recession. Uh, and a property company in Manchester, I was doing all their work for them. Uh, and they asked me to join, bring my business into their business uh, because they had uh, a lot of contacts with a lot of the big businesses in the city centre. And that's where I wanted to be. That's where I could make the biggest impact. So the decision was, okay, I'll go there and and do it on a bigger scale, basically, that I was doing just from my bedroom, basically, uh, at the time. So I I worked for, I set up the design department within that company, and that's when I started really getting the big, big jobs. So relocating like 600 people to a new office. So the experience I learned from being thrown in at the deep end basically was was huge and while i was thrown in the deep end uh i, I got then to uh implement uh this and it wasn't as refined as i've got it now but it was more of a, a learning four years that four years of doing interview questionnaires and workshops and building appraisals i got to do a lot of my kind of base work with that company uh, and then uh, I decided 
uh, to set up my own company. Uh, and it was only on, I just had different values to, from that other company at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, so I set up Cubate Studio and thought, okay, this is where I need to really then start to uh, work on my craft. I haven't got anybody else telling me what to do uh, or, or rushing or cutting corners, do you know what I mean? I could work straight away from my heart and see where it took me. So that's kind of why I did Cubate Studio. It, it sounds like that's human-centered design of your business, right? Yeah. To, to kind of have that at the heart of what you do to bring that human-centered design to your clients. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Because no, no, not that I know of, no design and build company or, or at the time when I set up was, was doing human-centered design. Uh, so I put myself on courses, paid for my own courses, and I did service thinking design and, uh, you know, just to try and understand more about it, the process. And so I didn't know how to really run workshops, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and things like this, or do data collection, write interview questionnaires because you've got all bias in there and things like this. So I've had to buy books, learn it, and, you know, so it's been a long process. And when you're trying to run a business and do all the design work and everything else around that, it's, you know, it can take years to evolve. Uh, so, so, yeah. Uh, and, and James, just for our listeners um, who aren't as familiar with human-centered design, so how would you define human-centered design? Uh, it's, it's basically understanding uh, the what employees need, how they behave, and then incorporating that into every aspect of the design process. Uh, so that could be uh, online surveys, which that would normally go to, say if you had a business, uh, it, it usually works for businesses with more than 50 staff, online surveys. Uh, so you would send out the online surveys to, you know, accumulate how they work now and how they feel about how they're working now. So that could be activities, service features, accessory tools, equipment, uh, the culture of the business as well. So all these surveys would all bring that information together and it would give you uh, almost like a pulse on how the business are evaluating, you know, individually almost and teams on how the business is working for them so you find within that data uh, a lot of uh, what's working and what's not working and it's usually a lot of what not's working which you would obviously get more I, I get more out of that sort of the pains the problems uh, it would all come out of these interview questionnaires mm -hmm. so we would normally evaluate those which is that would come from the whole of the business. And then we'd have, uh, on top of that, we'd have, uh, which would be team or lead lead uh, department, departmental interview questionnaires. Uh, and they would be normally one-to-ones with them, uh, with the team leaders. Uh, so we'd, we'd collate all that information together, <clears throat> analyze that information, and then pick all the the main points that we'd want to work upon that could improve, you know, how they work, 
could improve the tools, uh, could improve the environment in every single way. And then we'd have workshops with each team upon each of those which we, we wanted to work upon. Uh, we'd, we'd get all that information, we'd do brief ratific- we'd do ratifications of that information, and then we'd pull together a workplace strategy document which would have all the information there that's all been evaluated, all been inputted by everybody within the workplace, basically, that information. So that there'd be the results and that would be our kind of blueprint then to give to the CEO saying, here you go, this is what your company has asked for, how they want to work going forward, which which is, doesn't just change their environment it also changes how they work and where they work as well mm-hmm. so you know that they don't just have a, a say on what tools they need what technology they need it's also where they work as well based on what activities and etc what meetings so that, things like that they do so that sounds like a pretty thorough process um so you can see where there'll be some pushback for sure, right? But uh, in order yeah, to yeah, yeah, because we're del- delving deep into you know the business, uh, so so yeah, not everybody likes interview questionnaires going out to you know the whole staff members, <laughs> as you can imagine. <laughs> so going back just a little bit though, when you said that um, you know for the other company before you started your company that you were kind of thrown you know, uh, thrown in the deep end or whatnot. Like mm-hmm. what, what's, what's an example of being thrown in the deep end? Uh, well, it, they were just, uh, I was used to designing, uh, and delivering public jobs at say, uh, three, probably max half a million pound, like refurbishment. So there might've been hundred staff say, uh, so we had to relocate or refurbish, those kind of offices. And then when I got with the uh, the other company, I was doing uh, big jobs for like big tech uh, industries. So we'd be relocating 600 people. So it was on a huge scale. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and I've been maybe having five jobs like this a year, as well as probably another five or six small ones so sometimes i had like 10 jobs on at the same time (laughs) office jobs relocation jobs on at the same time (laughs) so it's it's a lot of pressure but you get to learn so so much at the same time uh so so yeah it just it just pushes you into a more efficient and organized way of working because you you have to uh to you know be very uh yeah, efficient. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, one thing that stuck out in our like kind of previous conversation, and you were because we we focus a lot on work culture, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you were basically saying like the three components that you believe every workplace should have is it's if they can excel at environment, uh, culture, and technology. Yes, those are kind of the three components that you feel like. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So so most of the uh, top. Fortune 500 companies in the world uh, all have those three components uh, right. So they have great technology, 
in the workplace. They have an amazing culture and they would have an amazing environment. And all these three together, it, it, I believe, create an amazing workplace experience. Uh, so they're all key ingredients. You can't have one without the other. And I think environment's probably based on around 30%. Mm-hmm. And then I think uh, you've got culture and technology then making up the other 35%. But they're all almost equally as important as each other. And I've seen so many businesses uh, have got amazing technology. The environment's absolutely shocking. Uh, and then the culture could be okay. And you can see why they're not performing so good. Yeah. So, so, so I've, I've been with businesses where, you know, they've got an amazing workplace environment, but the technology's over the place, all over the place, and the culture's not so good, and they're still not doing too good. So we can evaluate those three through interview questionnaires on how people feel about those three mm-hmm. through questionnaires distributed throughout the business. And you can just find out, okay, we need to focus on technology because they've got all these errors here. You know, we need to focus on, you know, culture or this, that. So, so yeah, it's they're all very much interwoven within each other. Yeah. When I actually, yeah, when I, when I uh, brought this to, to you, Joe, you brought in, process but then we kind of talked about like process being a part of the, all of them combined so talk a little bit about that because when, when when i first uh yeah so i james i love this concept um and i was actually th- as you were sharing this i was thinking about many 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 companies one of the <laughs> things you said was you know fortune 500s and i'm i'm remembering back to a conversation i just had with a a, a former cfo of a fortune 500 company and he say the facilities were okay the culture was terrible and the technology you know it, it was they couldn't implement better technology fast enough right so and this is a huge company i won't say what it is um but yeah in the in the fortune 50. so yeah as as julius brought this i thought you know there's the only the only element that's missing is process Right. And, and how does that fit in? So it could be your, you could think about your process being these three things, right? The components of how your, your technology fits in with your culture, which fits in with your environment or your facilities. Right. And how does that then drive the work? How does that drive the interactions? Right. And as you've been, you know, I love this conversation because as you've been sharing things, right, we're thinking about, do I have the sales team sitting next to the accounting team? Right, rather than the sales team sitting next to the marketing team, sitting next yes. to the customer service team or the inside sales team or whatever whatever components people have in their businesses. And so just not even thinking holistically, right, about what you're doing. And so this could, you know, in, inside of a holistic process, these three components are extremely key to having that like best in class business that, you know, even if you're a hundred people, you're hyper efficient. Uh, you're, you're, you have the, the best place to work, right? And technology, you're on, the, you're on the cusp of creating technology because you're so far ahead of everyone else because you're not dealing with the, the nonsensical things or the, the issues inside of your culture or not feeling like you can concentrate or focus because you're, 
you're next to the person who's, you know, either playing their music too loud or is always on the phone or just, you know, they're, they like to sing yeah, themselves. Right. So the, mm -hmm. yeah, I just, it, it's a beautiful concept and yeah, I, I, I think we're only scratching the surface of what's possible. So James, um, when you're walking into a, a facility, you know, organ or an organization, um, before serving, um, you know, or getting any type of information, how quickly are you able to kind of assess <laughs> what's happening and then do um, kind of solutions already start popping into your head right away? Yeah, pretty quick. I, I was actually on site yesterday doing, doing a, a building appraisal. Uh, and as soon as I walked in, uh, I just walked, the, walked around the office and then sat down in the kitchen. And then I sat down with my pad and I had the, the plan of the existing plan of the office in front of me. And I sat down and then I, I just heard noises from right at the other end of the office, right, people talking. And, and it, there was literally about, I'd say, 50 metres away, which is quite a long way. Uh, I thought, okay. Uh, and then I walked to the other end of the office where there were yeah, those those cluster who were talking and I stood there and then I heard people where I was sat in the T-point talking 50 metres away. And I thought, well, I know why this is happening. I know why people can't focus. And that was why I had to go down to the office. I've got to replan all the, the, the office, basically, because people uh, can't focus and they're all working from home. Uh, and I just thought, well, this has been designed incorrectly from the start because they've got this huge T-point and it's all open. It's right next to the, where the desks are. So, you know, a, a T-point is a place for, you know, serendipitous moments. It's a place for com conversations about things that are not work-related or they could be. Uh, but, you, you know, you have a lot of conversations and fun and chats in those areas and they can be quite noisy when you're brewing and making drinks and making your food and, and things like that. And if you're trying to focus on a normal desk, you know, where you've got a computer and it's focused private work, you don't want to be next to a tea point, which has got no doors on and it's just all open. So it's like that yesterday. I just thought, well, that's one of the reasons why they can't focus. It's <laughs> blaring straight in front of me. I'm, I'm sat there experiencing it. So, so, so James, would you, would you say you're not you're not a uh, always a hundred percent of a fan of of open concept offices? Uh, I am, and I'm not. It all depends on how people work. You say you could have a, an organisation that they literally are all collaborative and all open and all talking at the desk and that's how they work so you that's why you've got to understand how each team and each department work how much you know what's the process of their work you know what kind of meetings do they have you know how much thinking time do they need and is it individualized thinking time you know because that's where you get your best ideas you know when there's complete silence and that's why, you know, people like to work from home, especially, uh, I'd say, architects, for instance. 
know, they're very much thinkers. So they need that quiet space. If you ever went into an architect's office pre-COVID, you could hear a pin drop. Mm. So everybody's down like thinking about the great ideas. Now, if you went into a, a call centre, they're completely different. So you could have an open kitchen in a call centre. But, you know, this wasn't a call centre. <laughs> 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 <You know? laughs> so it's, it's just being designed because it looks good. That's that's it, you know. Mm. Uh, this is a, okay. So this is a perfect transition into. Um, so every podcast we talk about a situation. All right. So imagine you're the HR manager of a company that has recently transitioned to a hybrid work model, with some employees working remotely and others coming into the office. However, some critical projects require in-person collaboration. And the company has determined that it would be more efficient if all employees came into the office for these projects. Consider the balance and the need for in-person collaboration and the efficiency of the company with the desire for flexibility and autonomy of the employees. So we, you need to get to understand uh, the project project is it all projects are different each individual within that project will have their own separate task to do uh, as a combined task for an end result so uh, you'd need to really have a think about the individual basis of that project and who out of that individual basis you know just analyze what are they doing in that project you know are, are they basically the ones that are going to have to write all the notes of the project up. So they need a lot of quiet thinking time. You know, there's all these different aspects of, you know, these different working types within a project. So you need to find that out first and that can come, it could just be from the project leader. He'd have a good implementation of, you know, I'd sit down with him and interview him or her, sorry, uh, and would find out, what kind of meetings they'd have in that project, what kind of tools they needed in that project, uh, what kind of equipment is required within that project. Uh, and then we could work out then uh, whether it'd be beneficial for certain individuals to work at home or in the office. Have they got the facilities at home? Have they got them in the office? And if you come, you know, because you're trying to get the best output for that project, you know, you'd have to start, I'd start questioning the CEO why he's asked that question in the first place. What's what's he based it from? Mm. You know, so, so again, it's, it's, it's understanding how people work. Yeah. yeah, James, there was just an article in the New York Times yesterday about these consulting companies that are popping up specifically to help companies, you know, get their people back into the office because there's a lot of resistance to it. And, yeah. um, you know, it, it isn't too surprising to learn that what these consultants are finding is that mandates don't work. Mandates mm -hmm. create a lot of resistance and yeah. it, it does show it that the folks in charge who are putting the mandates out don't really understand how their people work from that individual yeah. standpoint. So I'm um, just trying to 
put the create a space and that's you know your your bread and butter creating a space that works for people and that they want to be there let them have some autonomy yeah Mm -hmm. so maybe Mm -hmm. there's going to be days that they have thinking time at home but they really want to have this this day with their colleagues once a week or you know but not to have it be dictated 100 percent. if you like if it's a because there's so many different types of meetings and some meetings work better face-to-face, like meetings for innovation, in my opinion, always work better face-to-face. Mm. Uh, you know, if you've got a lot of post-it notes and you get the ideas, you know, you can just get the ideas from the, the quietest person in the room, the best idea will come. And, you know, you can be more creative and put it on the wall. And I know there is, uh, you know, a lot of technology that you can put post-its on online and you know that kind of thing but there is you know certain meetings and certain moments that you would work better in the office than at home so you'd have to basically work out what those are within yeah. the project and, and then come to a, an amicable uh workplace process for that project i guess mm. you know J- james as you were answering the question what came to my mind was just the way that we do project management. You're not, project management is very task orientated. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily human resource driven, right? It might be resource driven from some other kind of asset, right? Inventory asset or, or things that need to be required, acquired, but thinking as far as who the people are, what their skills and attributes are, what their strengths are, project managers aren't trained to do that. They're just not trained to do that. So, but from a level of of effectiveness, it's paramount, right? Like, and so that could be very interesting. That could be very interesting to figure that out and and have that be part of a project management process. Because one hundred percent, I think you've also got to understand that not everybody's home is set up. Uh, in a good working environment. Uh, and we find out, because we do home experience surveys as well, I think that's important uh, because a lot of people's homes, especially the younger generation, are living in a small flat and mm. they will generally be sitting on the end of the bed working or on the bed or on the breakfast bar. Uh, and that on itself uh, would hinder productivity. You know, it's not good to be sat on your bed working all day i guess mm. so you know there's there's also uh, a call for you know if you've got an amazing workplace environment that caters for all the needs i, I would guess you're going to get more people coming back into work anyway to get out of the house you know because it's, it's not geared up for them for to work but the uh, the older generation usually have got bigger houses they might have an office within the house, uh, and it's a pleasurable experience for them. So they are very productive at home. So you've still got to weigh up these environments because the, the employee, the employer of a business is still responsible for people's welfare, even if they're working from home. So it, sh- it should be their responsibility to find out, is their home geared up to them to work it, you know, product as a productivity, uh, but there's a health and welfare issue as well there. Well, and a safety issue. 
The yeah. other thing that I that I am aware of too is that um, they saw an imbalance where um, employees of color were much happier working remotely because it protected them from some of the microaggressions in the workplace or, or outright mm. aggressions in the workplace. So that's something else that I think when you think about an environment, it includes that type of, you know, creating an environment of belonging mm -hmm. as well yeah. as yeah. The, the physical attractiveness of the space. I, I appreciate you saying that. I was, I was over here kind of mulling about that and, and just posing a question. Um, how much of kind of this work from home, come back in the office, thought process do you think is rooted in capitalism and racism you know and, uh, and with the pretense that that you know that's a lot of my work is, is kind of looking at under resource communities and you know youth development and i'm always trying to think of how we how we bring people together from that yeah, true human yeah. centered point right like what, what I, I don't yeah. i don't get any uh, racialism well not I don't think there's any in the UK. Well, there probably is, but I, I don't know of it. I think it's more of a hierarchical thing, you know what I mean? More of a uh, the larger companies wanting to oversee the the people and to make sure they're doing the work. You know, okay. it's just ingrained in them, to be quite honest. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. I, I think there's a, a school of thought that would say that that kind of a philosophy is sort of rooted in a, a racialized hierarchy as well. So I think it's all very connected. Yeah, 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 most definitely. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess where, where I would say is, um, I guess my, my question is, uh, when you're walking into these organizations, um, and the thing that I've been wrestling with, all I've been wrestling with is like, do they really care? Are you finding that, is it, um, you know, like when you talk about you need to talk to the, you know, the top of the company uh, as an example, is it that um, most of the CEOs, CFOs or whoever's running the organizations are just kind of ignorant to what's happening or is it willful blindness or do they just not care? On average, you know, I'm not trying to put everybody out there, <laughs> but what are you finding? <laughs> as I said, the... The younger CEOs are, you know, the, the, those are the ones that are, are implementing, you know, the change. Uh, it, it's just the, the, the older ones, uh, it's like banging your head against the wall, to be quite honest. Uh, and and until they, they disappear, I think it's, it's going to be quite <laughs> <laughs> still a hard task to get through to them. <laughs> but it won't be too long. Well, maybe 10, 10, 15 years, 20 years. Yeah, there, there are a few that'll change when they see, when they see somebody else do it, right? It's the... Someone of their generation do it. Well, yeah. not even, it's not even of their generation. It could be the younger generation where they see somebody having success and, and it's like, whoa, wait, what are they doing? Oh, all right, now I get it. My baseline has changed. Okay, so the game has changed. I need to adapt with the change of the game rather than saying, you know, yeah. my, my education that told me we have to do things this way, right? Productivity is all based upon um, how much you can squeeze out of the turnip, right? Like we, we just, mm -hmm. we, we, we push that, uh, that LinkedIn post again on that video, right? Mm -hmm. It's the, the, the concept of what do you get when you demand something from someone, right? The mm -hmm. most you'll get is what you asked for. But if you can inspire them 
the least that you'll get is what you asked for. They'll they'll be willing to, to jump through hoops for you, do more. But that's not what was taught in management classes, right? It, leadership wasn't taught until when what did Harvard start to shift and pivot to leadership? Uh, 2002, I think they had the first inkling of that, like we should move in this direction. It's it's more beneficial. So, you know, you have folks that went to college, you know, before that, that it's just, it's hard to change because I've had success. I had a degree, I got promoted. I, I don't know how to do this other way. Um, so some, mm -hmm. you know, that I, I, that's why I think mentorship is a never ending thing. You can be the CEO of a company, but are you going to put your ego aside long enough to be mentored by somebody who can show you a, a, a better way, right? Yeah, totally, totally. I think it's also bringing more awareness mm -hmm. to these business owners uh, because I think that's that's key. So to, to make sure that uh, we're knowledgeable enough, we've got enough evidence then to go out into these seminars where these CEOs hang out and present, you know, our findings to them and our results, and that's going to help change their mindset. And it's also a thing, uh, it's monkey see, monkey do kind yeah. of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so oh, look at that business, what you've just said there, you know, look how they've thrived from, you know, implementing these ways, uh, you know, the culture, the technology, the, you know, the human-centered design, the environment, etc. So, so yeah, I think it's uh, building that awareness within the industry, which it's it's never had. Uh, well, that so, that, yeah. uh, that uh, gets us right to the uh, last part of uh, the podcast, which is um, workplace stories. So uh, Joe's going to read the workplace story, and this is you know, giving us an idea of what's actually out there after we've reflected on like kind of all, all aspects of uh, human centered design, human centered engagement and work culture. So I had two to choose from and, and based on our conversation, I'm going to, what happens when it goes wrong? What happens when it goes wrong? So in 2013, Yahoo CEO um, announced that all that employees would no longer be allowed to work from home. The company had been struggling to compete with Google and other tech giants, um, and so she believed that requiring employees to come into the office would help foster collaboration and innovation, right? So we talked about collaboration and innovation as being, mm -hmm. yes, we want that those are the things that we want people to come to the office for. Um, but however, that decision was met with backlash from employees, many of whom relied on the flexibility of working from home for various reasons, such as childcare, health con or health concerns. Uh, I would add to that traffic, right? Um, <laughs> uh, some, some employees even resigned from the company in protest, right? So without even having another job, they quit. Uh, the decision ultimately had a negative impact on Yahoo's culture and reputation as it signaled a lack of trust in employees and a disregard for their well-being. In addition, it did not lead to the, desire, the desired increase in productivity and innovation, and Yahoo continued to struggle financially and has continued to struggle financially, and I'm, it's, it's a testament to their leadership that they're still in business. That's my take on 
kind of, you know, where this went. That's what happens. Yeah, it's just what happens. And how how do you mandate these? Th- you know, James, you've talked about it. We don't we don't. I don't think we need to cover it anymore. I mean, everybody we, should learn that mandates don't work over right. the last couple of years. Right. Yeah. I mean, like if you still <laughs> think our mandating, <laughs> I just where were you? I, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Well, and and and, yeah. and even the flip side of it of you know telling people they can only work in the office three days a week. They have to work from home two days a week. There is, I have a friend who he working from home does not work between the dog and the kids and not having, you know, James, as you said, not having that right environment, the right desk. Mm-hmm. He just hates it. Absolutely hates it. And he's like, why can't I come in five days a week? Well, because you don't have a desk here. Cause we're, we're sharing real estate. You're not, we can't schedule you five days a week. And it's, it's gone even too far now, right? We're hearing, hearing stories of it going too far to... Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it reminds me of, you know, the, the three elements that we were talking about that kind of has inspired your your work, uh, James. And Joe, you talked about, you know, process kind of also being something to consider. The other thing that I was thinking about goes to what you're talking about here and some of the themes here, which is, you know, the philosophy or mission of the company. So if... And uh, Chris, we're talking about capitalism, right? So if the point of the business is to make money, you're going to have these situations come up because I don't have a desk for you. I don't really care. Figure it out. If the point of the business is to create something of value for the world and to create a great environment for the employees to thrive and grow and to create create new innovative products for the world to benefit from. And oh, by the way, yes, we hope to turn a profit as well, but it's not like a number one, it is on the list, but maybe lower down, then you free those leaders up to be able to make decisions that are more human centered. And and that's, you know, that's our common thread. And why we were so interested in having you, James, is, you know, we all kind of have that human centered focus as what we're all really passionate about. I I think uh, Zig Ziglar's got a famous quote, it said, build the people and the people will build the business. Mm-hmm. So that, that that is at the heart of what we do. Yeah, you build the people first. Yeah, because that is the output of the business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually going to yeah. ask you, um, in an ideal world with no limitations, like, so what would the ideal process be, right? When you're starting the company, you know, for one of these Fortune 100 companies, how should they be thinking about this, like, from the start? Well, they just they need to be as open uh, as possible and to let us do our job. And yeah, the, the more time you spend in the research phase, the better the output's going to be. So if you think you're going to cut corners by going, oh, we'll, we'll just have a few interview questionnaires, see what comes from it, and then I'll, we'll base the brief off that, then you're only going to get as much of what you put in, the, you know, what you get out, basically. So uh, if you're serious about your employees' health and well-being, and how well your business wants to do, then, you know, you should be putting the effort in to get that output out. So th- there is going to be a uh, a kind of time when you've got enough information to do it, uh, you know, to implement those ideas. But the key thing is to have a process that involves everybody at some point. Everybody needs a say in how they work and where they work what tools to work with uh so so that is that is key yeah and then once you've actually done your job and and they've got the their environment that the next key thing is 
to just analyse that environment because it's never going to be right. It's always evolving, it's always evolving, always changing, uh, you know, year after year. So it's having those interview questionnaires that pick up on culture, pick up on technology, pick up on environment, you know, have them every six months. Is it still performing as we thought it would? Do we need to change anything and, and, and make sure that environment is flexible so they can change it? So they should be putting money away to invest in developing and rechanging as, as the time of the business matures. I was going to ask you, you know, as you're thinking about design, how does that fall into the cycle that the business is in, right? If they're so if they're in a in a grow phase, right, where they're maybe they're growing 20% a year for the next couple of years yeah. versus they're in a stable phase where they may be growing a percentage point or two, they've they've kind of stabilized <clears throat> their business. Um does that play largely in the how you're thinking about their design 100 percent. we need that's what we need to know where the ceo wants to take the business what are his goals and his, his goals are based normally based on financial goals so to get financial goals uh then they have to work backwards how many it'll work backwards how many people do we need to get to these financial goals what kind of teams do we need to build to get to these financial goals? And then you'll work that back over years. So, okay, it's five years. So we you're always predicting. So you might say in year one, we might want to grow 10 or 20, 20%, and these are in line with my goals, financial goals. You know, it's So you need some kind of structure and organisation, but you're never going to get it right 100% because you might have to factor in, well, we've got this office space. It's only going to ever max, we're only ever going to get 100 people in. And when we get 100 people in, everybody's going to be sat on top of each other anyway. They need to factor in, you know, when we need to start thinking about moving, etc. when we need to start, you know, or can we do it within the environment that we're in? And CEOs are sometimes reluctant to give you that information. They they might be reluctant to give it because they might be reluctant to say it, right? If they put it on paper, yeah. then they might be accountable to it. I you know I have a lot of compassion for CEOs because they're typically egos are really high. Eighty percent of them know they're in a position where like eyes are on them. The slightest thing they say, the slightest thing they do, can drastically change the direction of their company. So I do have a lot of compassion for them because it's it's not an easy job. Somebody has to do it. Um, mm -hmm. and then, you know, do they have the people, you know, as, as James said, the financial people, right. Is that person, that financial person under them going to fit that vision? Are they going to do the right thing? Are they going to, you know, are, are they going to challenge them in the right way? That's, you know, sees the vision come through. So it's, it's not an easy thing. Um, and it's, it's easy to throw them under the bus because it's, you know, figurehead. That is true. That is true. Chris, last words. We appreciate you having us, man. Um, you know, I, I've seen a lot of different workplaces in my life. My background's been in HR, so I've, I've always seen how things have shifted and how that plays such a role on how you feel when you come to work. Um, so I appreciate the work that you're doing because it's needed. I wish we could take your brain and put it into every CEO and every HR professional's head so that they can get <laughs> the magnitude, right, of, yeah, of, yeah. of the 
the holistic way of looking at work. So just thank you. 100%. Michelle, last words? Uh, I can't top that. (laughs) Great to have you, James. (laughs) It was wonderful to talk with you again. And and yes, thanks for all the great work. Uh, Joe? Thank you, you, James, for finally getting a chance to to meet you and talk to you. Uh, Joyce has been... um, mentioning you for years now for to, to <laughs> me. so glad that we're actually able to make this happen and uh and hope it's not the the last time we see you or or not uh or that it's not in too long that we see you again and and james uh, last words for you and then of course please let everyone know where um they can find you like everyone being the ceos cfos and those uh, <laughs> those the decision makers around the world where can they find you but uh, give us your last words uh uh, no, I just want to thank you for uh, enabling me to uh, make more people aware of the importance of human-centered design and the the impact that can have on uh, a business, but more importantly, human beings and their life and their experience and their health and the well-being. Uh, so, yeah, the more the more we get it out, the the better the world's going to be uh, for sure. Uh, yeah, you can catch me at cubehstudio.com. That's number eight, uh, cubehstudio.com. Uh, well, it's quite hard to catch me because I'm really busy at the minute, so you might struggle. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, feel free to uh, send me an email uh, if, if you wish, james at cubehstudio.com. Uh, quite happy to... Uh, answer any of your workplace queries questions uh if i can help i will most definitely help yeah awesome all right james thank you so much this has been a a great day and um almost like you know learned a lot today about uh, the workplace and Mm -hmm. being connected so thank you and uh, until next time everyone workplace theater please uh tune in thank you james thanks james Thank you. Bye. Bye. If today's discussion resonated with you, don't miss out. Hit the subscribe button now, leave a review, and rate Workplace Theater. Your support helps us improve. Do you have questions or comments? Click the link in our show notes. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning into the Workplace Theater. We hope you've enjoyed our podcast. If you're interested in new ways to inspire your team, need help with a sticky workplace situation, or you'd like a communication and engagement strategy for an upcoming important objective, please contact us by emailing workplacetheater at gmail.com. This has been a Working Better Together experience, a division of Exponential Consulting, LLC.